Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk for Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's frankly pretty difficult to talk about on an audio podcast. Tatsuo Nakamura founded ValueNex in 2006. To use artificial intelligence and modern visualization techniques to help his clients make sense of their patent portfolios and to keep an eye on what the competition is doing. In fact, this technology uncovered some of the core evidence that decided the famous blue LED case. It's highly effective, but highly visual. So let me try to explain it. ValueNex creates a kind of topographical map that shows companies where in the market their IP is strong and where it's weak. This can let them spot new market opportunities or, or learn what their competition is about to do. It's all pretty intuitive when you see it, but today we'll have to use our imagination as a kind of、uh, screen simulation. But Tatsu and I also talk about ValueNex's U.S. market entry. Well, there are two U.S. market entries, actually. We cover what he sees as the best overall strategy for AI startups, for them to find their product market fit. And Tatsu explains how he was able to accidentally discover a significant collaboration between two world famous companies six months before the project was announced. But you know, Tatsuo tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. I'm sitting here with Tatsuo Nakamura, the CEO and founder of ValueNex. So thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you very much. Now, ValueNex is a leader in visualization and big data analytics, and it's, it's so hard to talk about visualizations. On an audio podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But we're going to try. So,、uh, what's the best way to explain? What, what does ValueNex do? ValueNex is a predictive analytics company using the big data analytics. The main purpose is、uh, finding the future、uh, situation and making the strategy for the, our client. Okay. And, and you specialize in intellectual property and patents mostly, right? Yes, because patent documentation is very, very good, useful for data source. Because there's many fields, technical data, and there's a very clean documentation. So it is easy to analyze. Patents, especially, are interesting. I've heard from a few people in AI that right now, AI can read patents better than humans can because the language is so specialized and, and unusual that it's really well suited to AI. Yes,、yeah, so at first, when the people enter the IP fields, oh, this is a confusion because、uh, this is not a language. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a special word. <laughs> However, when they apply the machine technologies, it is easy to understand because it is a very Uh, some kind of mechanism for the sentence. So、uh, it is easy to transfer to the machine languages. Okay, so, so once the algorithm goes through hundreds of thousands of patents and uses machine learning and AI to understand 
the contents. It builds uh, kind of clusters of meaning around it, right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if the 400 documentation was there? So, so how many uh, relations to each side? Oh, well, it's geometric, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. quickly get into the tens of millions of... of yes, it is a huge relationship. Right, so a human being cannot, cannot possibly understand that from text information. Yes, so if the very special persons that try to the readings each by each, so probably it takes over 10 years. <laughs> right, right. Have a bunch of patent attorneys put them in a room and... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's a serious, serious in the Japanese major company, IP chains that over 50 people uh, working for the reading for the analytics <laughs> until five years ago. <laughs> so, so now, of course, uh, this is uh, all the styles. Now the people are using the analytics tools. And so ValueNext takes this information and creates um, the visualization. The output is sort of like, um, like an IP heat map. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so the users can see where the IP is clustered and... Mm-hmm. and uh, basically, it's uh, the three layer. Uh, when we think about the next product, the next market based on the technologies, at first we describe the uh, technology mapping, technology landscaping, and finding the uh, significant technology and uh, connected to the product, either the competitive product or service, so if there's no uh, product or services, oh, this is a good opportunity. So, yeah. Okay, so, so you could use that, the visualization to say, okay, we've got a, a hot cluster of technology in this space, but it looks open in terms of products in the market. Well, most of the cases uh, are market-driven analytics. So the people wanted to have the more uh, right uh, device then uh, try to uh, changing the materials. But around this side, every day so t- try to uh, making the new items. So they want to know the, where is the market. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, so I guess it can go in, in both directions. Yes, yes. So, well, tell me a bit about your customers. How are your customers mainly using this? At first, we started uh, our services uh, R&D side. So uh, manufacturing companies, uh, R&D division and uh, IP division, they have many technology, uh, many ideas. So I guess 99% idea and technology was not released. Mm. However, I think that there's more opportunities, more good services. Then they have to use the uh, panoramic bionautics, describing, the, oh, this uh, idea and this technology is a very similar and mm-hmm. they can be uh, combined. So is that the most common use case where it's, it's sort of your customer using it bottom up? Ideally, ideally it is a very a good way. However, the, any company has a division and may have war, <laughs> secret wars. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so they can't lead to the another field. I could see that, yeah, the technology, it seems ideal for just looking and saying, hey, you have an opportunity, but the different mm-hmm. divisions in the company yep. force them to have more of a product-focused 
Yeah. So, uh, so if someone uh, think about oh, this technology is very good for the be cool technologies. However, they are just materials, so they have to collaborate with the electronic field persons. They can't work that. So, so for example, let's say I, I was the division chief at a big database company mm -hmm. and responsible for the automotive industry. Mm -hmm. Could I say, let's look at all of our patents and see what might be suitable for the automotive industry, what mm -hmm. blank spaces there are that we could exploit? Would that be a good use of Valunex? Yeah, so oh, the concrete case is a chemical company, the Asahikase. At first, they rejected us because they have the analytics teams. But uh, when they use uh, our methodologies, uh, this is good work for the Asahikase president, corporate president, mm -hmm. because the big companies president have the, some kind of the images for the, each division's uh, relationships. So our letter chart is uh, almost the same for the president's uh, ideas. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so we can easily point out, oh, this two divisions should be the collaboration, or this, this both divisions has the white space, so collaborate making the uh, bridge technologies. <laughs> it sounds like, this is really interesting, it sounds like you took the customer's biggest objection to your product, that yeah, it was yes. bottom up and we had all these walls, and you said, oh, well, let me explain these walls to you. Yep, yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yes, I established 2006 these companies, uh, so always the starting point is uh, negative starting. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I want to drill down deep into the, the marketing and to the technology in a minute, but before that, let's... Let's step back a bit and talk about you mm -hmm. and when you founded Valunex. So at Stanford, you and I were talking and, and you mentioned the importance of the blue LED case. Yes. Yes. And, and can you tell me about that? I think yes. that's really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, the, this sample case is very famous in Japan and uh, this is a very uh, big event for the society and also me. However, the, uh, some part of the, uh, the confidential. So, <laughs> but I can say that uh, I was a uh, uh, project leader at the, these court issues. I was belonged to the Nietzsche chemical companies. At that time, it was 2005. So uh, many people want to know the why the, uh, these court issues lead to the opposite. So Nietzsche Chemical Company's IP division's responsible asks us to use the radar chart. Just using the GIS radar is very helpful for the explain to the coach. So just two points. One point is the main patent is we call the 404 patent. This 404 patent has a similar patent. So Mr. Akasaki had issued the patent, advanced to the Nakamura Shuji. And other is NTT has. NTT's patent and Mr. Akasaki's patent is very similar to 404 patent. Just only the Japan Patent Office didn't aware of that. So what the visualization showed was that this 404 patent was not as unique Yes, as, as the researcher was claiming. Yes. And so he shouldn't have been awarded like the, the full amount he was asking for. Yes, and another point is uh, Nietzsche Chemical Company didn't use 404 patent. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so their co-op area is close to the 404 patent. However, the, when describing the radar chart, Nichia Chemicals Co-op Technology area is here, far from 404 point here. There are no bridge, no relationship for the, each side. And, and so you, you sort of prove the usefulness of the technology, or at least the approach, in that patent lawsuit. And so were you, were you still teaching at, at Waseda at that point? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Was, uh, yes, Todai and Waseda. What, was this technology coming out from university research? No. No, no. no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, our methodology is uh, generated in the university. Uh, no. But in this case, no. <laughs> they came from outside. Yeah, but uh, so our stakeholder is Waseda University, and uh, our main lead investor is uh, venture capital of the Waseda University. So, oh, okay. Did you always want to start a company and just happen to be teaching until you could make that happen? or? Mm-hmm. Because it's still pretty rare for people to transition from being a, a university professor to running a company. Mm-hmm. I am a little rare in Japan, <laughs> the uh, academic side and the business side. But uh, in Shigonbar area, so there's many uh, startups related to yeah. the universities. It is a very popular cases. Well, I think at Stanford, the professor who doesn't want to start a startup is very unusual. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good, good situation. But, but in Japan, it's the, the opposite. Yeah. In Japan, professor is just only the uh, university, so they don't know the, the outside of the university. So this is not good for the student. I agree. Yes. And, and actually, so before you started teaching, you were at Mitsubishi Research for yes. a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting and unusual career path in Japan. It's very, yes. It'd be very normal in the U.S. <laughs> yes. But to go from an organization like Mitsubishi Research to the University of Tokyo to running a startup, yes. it just sounds like some really big changes. And I'm, yes. I'm curious, like, yeah. why... Yeah. What was your motivation at, at each yeah. time? At the first uh, start is uh, my business life is from the Mitsubishi Research Institute. And three years later, I uh, transferred to the University of Tokyo. Because at this time, it's uh, the Mitsubishi Research Institute and METI and uh, University of Tokyo all collaborated. So I worked at uh, three years and a half at the University of Tokyo. Okay. And after that, I back to the Mitsubishi Research Institute and worked the nine years. So uh, at 2001, I make the business strategy plan. But uh, can you imagine that at that time, so there's uh, no big data word. <laughs> no, no, it was before cloud computing, before big data, yeah. Okay, so you, you always kind of had a foot in both worlds. You've always had a connection to the, the business side and to the university yeah. side. Yes, yes. And now so we're working with uh, Waseda University. And, uh, Is that something that's changing in Japan now? 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, you would never hear of a university professor on the board of a company, board of a startup. Ah, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, but we're seeing more and more. Is that something that's, that's changing, do you think? Yeah, I think so. uh, this uh, 10 years very changing because uh, university have to arrive. So, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't remember the accurate uh, year, but uh, around 2003, Moncasho changing the, their policy to supporting the university. Just only the 40 university 
receives a budget from the government. Ah, okay. So the starting the competitiveness in the universities after the 2003. So they ordered to the hiring the talented professor from the outside of universities. Okay, so it's it's the universities are kind of being forced to change. Yeah. Well, that's the only way they're going to change. I mean. <laughs> well, I just thinking about it. I mean, it, it would seem that. The ideal use for ValueNext would be working with universities to look at their technology and their patent portfolios, because there there's a tremendous amount of IP at universities, and、mm-hmm. Japanese universities are terrible at yeah, yeah, commercializing yeah. it. I mean, you must have proposed this to the universities already. Have they been interested in it? In so my case, it's a university. It's a good stock. For the <laughs> student, <laughs> yes, it's a good relationship to the. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that is yeah. important. Yes, and good future customers. <laughs> yeah, so every every October, I have the class, and several students come to our office as intern. Yeah, I can I can see why that'd be very valuable for both sides,、yeah. but don't the universities themselves want to use? Value next to, for example, look at their own patents and look at their own technology and say, "Hey, we have this great cluster in in healthcare, or what we're doing now could really be applied yeah, yeah. to driverless vehicles." Or <clears throat> it, it seems like such a good fit. Did probably probably in ten years or the twenty years the professor changing? So the next. T- Next professor's generation is、uh, like me. <laughs> We have to wait a whole other generation.、Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wait that long. Yeah, it takes a long time. No, but I mean, it seems like what you have is more of a, a prioritization tool. It's not like a black box,、mm-hmm. but it would tell those twenty patent attorneys. You should look at this cluster. So, so our tool is not suitable for the、uh, typical IP business. So, yeah, because、uh, our business is、uh, so, so focused on the making strategies,、uh, finding the future situations. A priority search, of course, we can do that. But、uh, this is not so different for the other just searching. Somewhere, so I mentioned of like use value next to to find like an intersection in Google and Honda. Ah, yes. Can you, can you talk about that? Because I thought that was a great example. Yeah, at 2013, so when I、uh, visited Google's head office for the discussion about the IP issues, I made the、uh, G sample case. So, because、uh, Honda Research Institute is、uh, close to the Honda head office, so just reason. <laughs> this is、uh, just reasons why so I use the、uh, Honda and Google's. So I made the、uh, Honda whole、uh, patent and Google's whole patent. Of course,、uh, they're the far from the each other, but the between the each. Core technologies.、Uh, this is the、uh, same areas. This is、uh, CCD camera technologies. So Honda and、uh, Google has the same patent here. So I asked Google. In this case,、uh, are you compete with Honda or the, do you collaborate with Honda? Nothing. So he rejects the comment <laughs> because because. <laughs> so you knew that was a great question. <laughs> yes. So it's six months later. They collaborate with each other. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that 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 sort of heat map, those clusters, 
told you something was happening. Yes. Excellent. Let's talk a bit about kind of AI business models、mm-hmm. because AI, artificial intelligence, over the last forty years, maybe fifty, it keeps going in these cycles, right? Yes. And before you mentioned that part of your business is in consulting and part of it is in、uh, like platform and tool sales. Can you say about like how much of your business is platform and how much of your business is consulting? Uh, our goal is、uh, providing the solution for the customers. So the three types of methodologies: they are just providing the, our tools, and the second is、uh, just consultations, and the three is、uh, using the, our、uh, tools and uh, uh, consultations.、Mm-hmm. Because、uh, just a tool provides just seventy percent of the customer satisfactions,、oh, yeah. so we have to add its、uh, more values、uh, by the human intelligence. So th- this is a、uh, uh, current limitation of seventy percent. Of course, everyone wants to sell software because that that scales the best.、Mm, yeah. So the, the consulting you do is it mostly kind of like training or is it data cleansing? Is it what 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 kind of consulting do your customers need? The、uh, consultation is、uh, making the insight. So how to extract the insight from the analytics result? Okay. okay, so so helping your customers make sense of the results,、yes. tell、yes. them what it means. Yes. Actually, it, it's been interesting. Just in the last say four or five years, the AI industry is changing pretty quickly.、Mm-hmm. So like four years ago, there was a lot of sort of general AI companies. You know, companies saying just give us your data and we'll show you the insights.、Mm-hmm. But it, it seems these days the AI companies that are successful all tend to have a very narrow specialty. Yes.、Mm-hmm. So whether it's whether it's IP,、mm-hmm. whether it's、uh, like fault detection,、mm-hmm. do you think that's the best strategy for AI companies? Do you, do you think they have to focus on a on a small? Yeah. Yeah. So the very famous AI companies focus on the manufacture improvement. So they release、uh, one of the success stories. So they can、uh, reduce、uh, cost because uh, uh, manufacturing line improving. So, but uh, uh, this is just focus on the this、uh, special line. So they can't providing the these algorithm to the another lines. Which is better? Quality is not good, but uh, uh, they using the many person. Or the specific customizing and very expensive、uh, algorithm, but this is very good qualities.、Yeah. So both is different. Yeah, it seems like the the dream of AI and always the promise of AI is the the black box solution. Just the answers come out, but it sounds like、yeah. like in your case, you were saying like your customers need help understanding、yeah. what the results mean and. Yeah. So, so x-axis is the quantity, and uh, uh, y-axis is the quality. Our service is、uh, some kind of here, but、uh, just visualization service is not so high quality, but、uh, the huge market.、Uh, our service is not so many、uh, market, but、uh, the high quality, high services. Right. So, so selling the services and the understanding that go along with the AI. Yes. So the AI is improving the,、uh, rapidly, and、uh, finally we moving here. Okay. So you so you think over time as AI improves, you'll be able to 
do less and less consulting and let the platform do more and more of the work. Yes. So our methodology is uh, using the batch file technology. Mm-hmm. So oh, this is not real time. So right. user have to wait in the several minutes or the sometimes several hours. Well, I think for, for like IP analysis, that's no problem, I imagine. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> the, the over t- so, so 100,000 documentation should be the <laughs> over <wait>. 10 years. <laughs> Just one hour we can calculate. But most people are familiar to the uh, search engines. Just 0.2 seconds coming the results. So we have to think about how to reduce the times. What, what do you see as the biggest challenge in, in making that happen? Is it the AI algorithms have to get better? Is it that you have to understand the domain better? Is it what, yeah. what has to change? I think that this is optimization methodologies. This is uh, not AI. Optimization methodology is uh, realized by the quantum computing. So now people's uh, focus in the AI, but uh, I believe the uh, next stage is it uh, should be using the quantum computing. Well, quantum computing, it's hard to know. We always seem like so close to it, but we always seem to be like two or three years away from quantum computing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so five years ago, all scientists said quantum computing uh, realized after the 2030. But uh, D-Waves, other uh, quantum computer companies uh, starting uh, small services from ne- next year. <laughs> L- let me ask you kind of a different question. So you went public last year, and there's been a real trend in the last few years among Japanese startups to stay private longer mm-hmm. and delay the IPO. Mm-hmm. So what was... What was ValueNex's motivation for IPOing as opposed to staying private and keeping that flexibility? What's the purpose? The purpose is very simple. So, uh, we want to use our methodology to expanding the worldwide. So how to realize the worldwide activities. Was going public necessary for funding reasons or like reputation reasons? Yes, so funding reason is uh, for starting the next generation's uh, development. And uh, reputation is how hiring a good, talented person. Well, actually, yeah, let's, let's talk a bit about your, your global expansion and, and your market entry strategy, because that is something that all high-quality Japanese startups are thinking about going global now. You began your U.S. market entry 2014? Was it? Yeah, 2014, yes. So uh, at first, when I started the uh, Balinex uh, 2006 in Tokyo, next year, 2007, I opened the uh, San Jose office. Uh, so you opened the San Jose office the next year? Yeah, yeah yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, uh, when I established my company, so these methodologies should be uh, expanding in worldwide from the start. Well, that's really fast. To, to go global. Yes. So, yes. so yes. again, was, was your goal to establish credibility by having a U.S. office? Was it to like try to reach U.S. talent for programming and ideas, or was it sales? What, what was your goal yeah. that early? Yeah, so at that time, just starting the startup, 
and just enter the US side. <laughs> I don't know the management. <laughs> of course, no, I don't know the regulations. What is that only? <laughs> so, no, 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 no. Everything, no. So, <laughs> so I supported from the San uh, Jose uh, incubation office. Fortunately, I successed the fundraising that twice at that time. So uh, we had uh, some kind of uh, huge monies at that time. However, however, the 2009, the Lehman shock was occurred. Yeah, so our stakeholder ordered me so, to back to the Tokyo, <laughs> close the Sano's office. <laughs> 2009. Oh, so 2014 was actually going back to the US. Yeah, yeah so, so it is a good story and a bad story. So, but sorry, it's uh, the 2009, at, at the time, so there's no big data, no AI analytics tools in the US side. But uh, so when I re enter the 2014, the US side, of course, there's uh, many <laughs> AI analytics and uh, the big data companies. So we had to catch up the, these companies. The good story is that during the developing the our tools in only Japanese market, we uh, develop this uh, original way. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a different way for the big data analytics. Because the US and uh, worldwide uh, big data analytics is uh, expanding uh, this style. So trying to be more, uh, yeah, like I was saying, where everyone wants to be the platform. Yeah, platform. Without like specific expertise. Yes, not qualities. But uh, our side, our methodology is uh, of keeping the quality. So this is the reason why we are now competing in the U.S. side. So you, it goes back to those clusters again. All the, everyone else was like clustered around the yes. platform business, and you were providing very specific yes. technology. Okay. But, but yeah, opening up a U.S. office one year after you start the company, is that, is that something you would recommend to other startups to do? No. <laughs> yeah. 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 In fact, at that time, it was a very, very, very hard, hard way for me. Yeah. So, funny story. So, uh, so me and sometimes my uh, member driving the car by rent a car, sometimes uh, enters uh, the tram line. <laughs> And <laughs> police call, call us, stop us. <laughs> oh, you're a junk driver. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, there's many troubles outside. So, so these days, do you, do you spend most of your time in Tokyo or most of your time in San yeah. Francisco? Yeah. Now, the, after the 2014, the half, half of the years are staying in the Tokyo and half is staying in the U.S. All right. So you were mentioning that the, the year after you start your company is far too early to do a U.S. market entry. So what would your advice be to Japanese startup founders? When, when should they start thinking about doing market entry? Typical idea for such Japanese startup companies, at first they're making the market share in Japan, and after they want to enter the U.S., this, this is not good for the uh, going to the U.S. side. Be- okay. Yeah, because market culture and the UI/UX is always different between the U.S. and Japan. So if they want global market, they have to think about the going to the at first U.S. or the global. So how, when do they know it's time? So is it you know like after you have? 
product market fit with your Japanese customers? Is it after you raise a certain amount of money? Is it just as soon as possible? When would you advise like the right time? So it depends on the field. So、uh, fintech and、uh, big data analytics is a、uh, four years differential from the、uh, worldwide market and the Japan market, and type is deep, big difference. However, the biotech, some kind of material science, is a big advantage in the Japan side. So they have to keeping the their technology or the ideas or IP, and so think about the consider to the how to enter the U.S. market. All right. Yeah, a lot of startup founders have told me that the VCs give them a lot of pressure not to do market entry. Until after the IPO, because、mm-hmm. a lot of Japanese VCs just you know they they're focused on that IPO. Yeah, and that's okay. But they're saying, no, 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 start you know market entry. That sounds risky and expensive. And why don't you just wait? But you you started your market entry well, twice, <laughs> yes, <laughs> both times before the IPO. Did your investors complain about that, or were they supportive of that? I'm very fortunate. This our the lead investor is very. Supported me so, so over ten years holding the、uh, stock share, and after IPO, they not still release their stock. Wow! Yeah, yeah、okay. this this is a very strange in Japan. It's like ideal investor. Yes, just keep it forever. Yeah, keep. Yeah. They, they want to keep forever, and also so they're looking for the good collaborator for the next stage、uh, stakeholders. So this is an important thing. So how collaborate with a startup founder and venture capital persons? And and as part of that market entry into the U.S., were your first U.S. customers subsidiaries of your Japanese customers, or did you have to develop a customer base from scratch? When we enter the U.S. side, soon I aware of、oh, we have to changing the U.R. U.X. and uh, uh, activity. That, so we contract with uh, uh, Silicon Valley's uh, uh, developers and changing the most of the part of the U.R. U.X. Okay, so for the business side, it was really starting from zero again. Yeah.、Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, Tatsu. Before we wrap up. I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question, and that is, if I gave you a magic wand,、mm. and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan,、oh. anything at all—the education system, the way people think about risk, the legal system—anything、mm. at all to make it better for startups and innovation in Japan,、mm. what would you change? Yeah, I wanted to change Japanese people's、uh, mind. Because a、uh, uh, long history of Japan, Japanese peoples、uh, basically、uh, they want to go abroad. But now these twenty years, they keeping inside. They don't want to go abroad. So, why why is it important that that Japanese people go abroad? Is it because just just this is not business, not only business. Private is okay. So communicate with other cultures, persons. People think aware. Oh, this is different. Or、oh, this is another ways. Is the advantage that they see new ideas, or just that gets more flexible thinking? Typically, the、so、Japanese think about the former ways. Currently, as、uh, people can、uh, findings easily, just searching. 
but uh, they have to think about the, uh, before the searching the what should be do how should do that so using the another culture another people's another ways diversity is very important for the making the new idea new insight okay so it just it it just makes people aware that there there are different ways of thinking and, yes. and you have to approach problems differently and yeah yeah i, yeah, I think there there's a general agreement that like kind of in principle mm-hmm. diversity is good mm-hmm. yeah. but as you mentioned japan's in an interesting situation now where uh, because of the internet in in some ways it's easier than ever for people to be exposed to new ideas mm-hmm. but you know, as you mentioned travels actually decreasing mm-hmm. and and what what do you think's going on there do you think people are getting yeah. more closed or more open to outside what do you think's happening yeah so after the collapse of bubble the 1991 people came to uh, very conservative they don't want to challenging everything yeah okay so we are the last generation yes. for the challenging <laughs> generation <laughs> <laughs> so the the probably thirty years generation and forty years generation can't believe the, our situations. Why do that? There's many risks, but we want to do that. <laughs> that reason is very simple. Do you think that's that's changing with the younger generation, with the Japanese who are say college students now? Yeah. Yes. Until the four years ago. Our, my class's students uh, want to be the bureaucrat or the <laughs> joining the huge, major, big enterprise companies. But recently, there are little changes. Some part of the students are starting the startup company during the student life. I, I expect that this situation is increasing. It's progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, Tatsu, thank you so much for seeing Yeah, thank you, Russ. I'm very exciting sport, yes, to discuss about this. And we're back. You know, I found Tatsu's comments about the challenges of selling Valunex into large companies to be a really good example of why it's so hard to sell innovation in general. Valunex can be used to spot new market opportunities to open new lines of business. You, you think it would be easy to sell, but corporate sales doesn't work like that. When you're selling to a large enterprise, you're not being paid to solve that company's problems. You're being paid to solve the problems of whatever specific group or division is signing that contract. If the problem falls outside of their responsibility, then it's not their problem, and they probably don't want to use their budget to solve it. The challenge here is that disruptive innovation, or really just innovation in general, usually requires the involvement of several different groups, or sometimes paying attention to a problem that no one has specific responsibility for. In the story Tatsuo told about Asahi Kase, he had to go all the way up to the CEO before he found someone who understood the importance of cross-division cooperation. And that's a problem. If you always have to go to the top, 
it's hard for real innovation to get traction. Also, Tatsuo gave some really interesting advice about market entry and AI market strategy in general. Now, going into global markets as early and as hard as Valunex is the opposite advice that is usually given to startups, but it's clearly worked for them. They were one of the handful of targeted AI companies with real domain expertise in a market flooded with generic AI platforms, so they got the attention they deserved. But it's easy to understand the appeal of black box AI. I mean, the black box AI, where you simply feed in data and it gives you the answer, has been a staple of both science fiction and investor interest since at least the late 60s. If such a device can be invented, the founder of that company would undoubtedly become the world's richest person. So I get the appeal. But is a black box AI possible? I mean, is it even theoretically possible? I've been through a few generations of the AI hype cycle. And I've noticed that every time there is a lot of hand-waving away of the real human expertise and the real human problem-solving that goes into creating an AI answer. It's not just the data collection and data cleansing, but figuring out exactly what the right question is and the precise way to state that question. And, of course, how to interpret the AI's output. And in most real-world situations, it seems that the bulk of the value is in determining exactly what question we need to be asking. And that question is almost never the question that we start out asking. AI is an incredibly useful tool, of course. But at the moment, it looks like we humans should count on having to solve our own problems. If you want to talk about AI or selling technology to large enterprises, Tatsu and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 151 and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee you that Tatsuo or I, or maybe both, will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But even better, if you like the show tell people about it. Disrupting Japan has grown not by social media marketing or advertising, but because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening, and thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.